Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob and Terry Gross. Hey everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks. This week we have me, Rob, who's speaking, and then we also have uh, me, Brady Larson, your and co-host. a special somebody, right, Brady? Uh, this is Tess. Uh, I'm not Terry Gross. No, you're the specialist guest. I'm the specialist Tess. guest. You are the specialist guest. Tess. And I'm looking through my notes here, but I realize I did not put the title in my notes. So now I'm back in last week and so forth. Brady, why don't you talk about the movie we did this week? Yeah, so this week we did um, 1986's uh, kind of little scene. I, I don't want to say that because I, I think this is a big movie in the gay community, but kind of a, an underseen gem. It's Bill Sherwood's Parting glances. Parting glances. Yeah, I was going to say passing glances. And I was going to say up. hidden glances. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I feel terrible, but there's only um, one very, very famous actor in this movie. I feel like we owe it to the cast to at least get the two mainstays' names right. So let me look that up while you guys chat amongst yourselves. Well, um, But one person you'll know for sure is Mr. Steve Buscemi, um, who must not be... He must be under 30 at this point, right? In this oh, role? he's totally in his 20s as far as I can tell. For sure. Uh, so Parting Glances, it mostly centers on, um, it opens on, you know, a couple. And they are, uh, one's going to go fly to somewhere far away. Okay. And they're going to take a break. Uh, I don't think that's established at that point. But so here, I'll I'll do this. Um, Let Brady do it. Right. So what? Basically, it's a 1980s set New York tale involving a gay couple um, who live together in the same apartment. One of them is a copy editor, and the other uh, I'm not going to get into detail, but he's some kind of government agency liaison. And on this night, they have plans to go to two parties. One, a fancy dinner party of the government agent boyfriend and the other is uh, some kind of we find out is a goodbye party uh, at a friend's house. Well it's a goodbye dinner and then a goodbye party right? Well There's yeah. a big party they're also kind of giving the dinner for like oh no, this no, is no, your farewell no, dinner. No no no. Um, that the guy totally knows he's leaving they said he wanted to have him over the, to say goodbye. There, there are two separate events though. The dinner yes, is with the government agent's friend. It, it seems to be a, a co-worker of his. They're both involved in the same agency and so in the morning the boyfriend is going to get transferred to um, equatorial africa and mm. work i think around nairobi and so that's going to be kind of the end of his relationship uh with michael who is the other guy the editor yeah that michael and um God. <laughs> michael and robert so robert looks like a ken doll and Michael is one of the movie's many twinks. Oh, uh, yeah. Michael is pretty much close to our lead, I would say. Yeah, he's uh, the lead. And our other main character is uh, is Michael's longtime friend and kind of secret crush, Nick, played by Steve Buscemi. Uh, Nick is a sarcastic young band leader 
um, who is just kind of burbling under the big time. When we meet him, he's been waiting six hours to finally see his video on MTV, uh, back when MTV did that. And yeah. And he has AIDS, so he's, he's dying. This would have been the... So MTV came out in 1984, I believe. Four. Okay, right. So it's like a little bit younger. It's like one year younger than I am. Okay. So it's been around for like five years at this point, maybe. Yeah. And so the big plot points are, because this is a movie... Uh, that's kind of teased out through conversation and is very much about the relationships and the details of the time period. But I'd say the major plot point that happens is we find out as they're heading to the party that uh, Michael's belief that his boyfriend had been forced to transfer isn't true. The boyfriend has actually requested a six-month transfer to Africa, which Michael accuses him of doing to avoid not being there when Nick passes away from AIDS. Uh, so he's running away from his fear of death and tabling his relationship in a cowardly way to get away from it. And so all this occurs with the backdrop of going to this party and with the much broader backdrop, obviously, of the AIDS crisis. Um, what else would you say plot-wise, Rob? They go to this party. We meet Joan, who is... Um, I, I believe I originally thought she was a lesbian, but... I believe she's like... A flame dame. Type. Yeah, so she's a straight woman who um, has a lot of gay friends. I prefer fruit fly. Sure, but like, okay, so she's a, a woman that befriends and mostly hangs out with gay men. Correct. That seems to be her character. I could be wrong. Um, Brady, who's seen this movie twice, was like, "No, I think she's a lesbian," and I was like, "I think they're talking about men they like together." Like, she well never mentions ladies she's into. She just is talking about guys and relationships that, that the other guy is having. You know? Yeah, and I didn't right. focus on it too much anyway. I just kind of went, oh, okay, that's, she's the lady who's throwing the party. Yeah. She's a well, friend you know, of theirs. But she's, um, all these characters are fondly fleshed out, so like I do think it's important to try to do right by the details of the characters. Uh, but, yeah, that said, I, I think you're right. I didn't hear her say anything about about wanting to date women. So. Well, yeah. so anyway, they go to a party, and yeah, um, then there's a lot of characters and such at this party. Another uh, one is a young record store clerk who's probably five, ten years younger than most of our characters. Right. In an earlier scene, Mike is actually buying... Um, Classical records from him. Right. The second time. And this kid and kind of has a crush on Michael. Days. And, yeah, they, he hits on him, and they get, he like gives him the number. He says, oh, you should come to this party. That's what we're going to go do, and all that So things. he is another one of the many faces milling about. There's also a, an older, probably late 40s, heavy set man uh, who is much richer than everyone and can afford to, he's trying to woo the record store clerk guy with a trip to Paris, a free week. You think he was in his late 40s? Oh, I'm doing my best to guesstimate. What would you say? Late 30s. He's our age. The the rich guy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he's he looks older than Michael to me, but I guess yeah, that's just but everyone Yeah, but that's because everyone at that party was in their 20s. Because, um, like, everyone is for sure older than the handsome record store clerk. Yeah. He's, he's like, probably, my guess would be he's, like, between 18 and 22. Okay, and everyone else I is think late he 20s. might. I think he might even say that he's 24, but might be lying. I don't know. Okay. Oh, details. details. They're at a party. It was, yeah. again, There's it was really hard people. for me to and hear. And we find out when they get and there. And it was hard for me to see. We find <laughs> out when they get there, it's a surprise party for Robert. 
Um, and Robert's putting up a fuss about not wanting to go, and then at that point we learn that Michael had to get him there because it's his party. It's his goodbye party. Yeah, and the reason it was hard for Tess to hear and see is because we were watching this in daytime on a projector, and it well, it, it was hard to the see. The quality was not. Anyway, it's, it's hard to find a good. Copy I did the of this best thing. I it's could. A rare. Yeah, there's one copy of this out there. Yep. But uh, I think I got it. <laughs> yes. Um, and so yeah, as this party unfolds, there's kind of what? Uh, yeah, I think what really develops is Michael coming to terms with the fact that he really loves. Nick, um, and having to deal with the fact that Robert is leaving, that's all going to be thrown into turmoil, and the person he loves is also leaving in a manner of speaking, because he doesn't have much longer to live, in all likelihood. And so they go to the party, and there's conversations, and then the next day, um, Robert leaves for the airport to go to Africa, and Michael finally confesses his full feelings to Nick. Yeah, and the dude from the dinner party goes with him. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the dude <laughs> with the dinner party, a yeah. real dick move, tells his wife on the morning of, like, I'm just going off to Thailand. Bye-bye. Yeah, I wanted to go to Nairobi. There's this watering hole there. Or, well, that's where Robert's going to go, because he's giving him all the gay bars, the like any safe places in Africa for gay men, which probably are not men yeah. in the 80s. Robert's going somewhere near Nairobi. When they're at the dinner before the party, the guy goes... If you make it to Nairobi, I'm guessing you will check out this watering hole. Yeah. Yeah. And so so he confesses his love to Nick, and Nick goes off and kind of, uh, in his own dick move, implies that he's going to commit suicide, but it's just to get Michael to join him on Fire Island so he can make a big proposal that they run off on a romantic trip together. This is all complicated by the fact that Robert cancels his trip to Africa and comes back to the apartment and we kind of end the movie with Michael kind of standing between two positions of where to go with his life. Um, and again, all set against this backdrop that's got the AIDS crisis and is about New York changing. So it's, it's a lot of goodbyes and what will the future hold? And the movie ends with, um, with uh, oh yeah, with a nice winky joke, which is Nick, not knowing that Robert's back, says, you know what, let's just go visit Robert in Africa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. and there's that, and then he has him pick sort of uh, where he's going to go. He's, oh, close your eyes, I'll spin you around, you point, uh, and wherever you're pointing is where you go, and uh, he ends up pointing at uh, Nick. Ah, uh, he does. There's that. So yeah, that's the general plot of the film. Um, so I guess the whole thing we do next is we talk about uh, how we liked it, right? I think so. Indeed. Hey, 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 how do we like it? Is there music? Brady, how did we like this movie? How did we? I'm making a collective decision. <laughs> Guys, we all loved this. No, uh, I loved this. Um, I think this is great. Uh, the experience I had the first time watching, and which like improved even this time, is I think in its opening 15 minutes, it's very good, but I'm like, oh, well, this is like very modest, isn't it? Like it's it's just very modestly scaled, and the actors haven't really gotten a chance to do much acting yet. Buscemi kind of sounds the firing shot of like, okay, now the performances are getting bigger and more detailed. Uh, but I think once you head into Party Town, once you head to that dinner, I think this thing's uh, literacy explodes. I think it then becomes 
just a, a marvelously intricate, intricately literate script. It's just filled with jokes and details mm -hmm. and is, is very understated and kind of lets the character work through the way, which I very much love. I, I love I love a hangout movie, which this is. Yeah. I love um, I love a good period piece. You know, not one that's just about like, oh, look how impressive. But we've when was this made? 1986. Well, that, see, that's the funny thing. It's it's, but I think it knows it's a period piece of its own time as it's being made. Uh, that's just. You know. I, I will <laughs> I will get deeper into this argument. That can come later. Um, yeah, I do think it very much has that on its mind. Uh, I love it. I, I give this an can A. Can you make I a period piece of a time that you're living in and when it was made? I think with the right intent, maybe. Well, it kind of makes it not a period piece. It's then. more no, of a it's time capsule than a period film. piece. Okay. Wah, wah. Well, yeah, sure. well, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, okay, fine, fine. But, like, it is a crystallization of a time period that very much has crystallizing the time period on its mind. Right. No, As I opposed mean, to just anything made in one's own time. You know, the average film isn't going to necessarily think to be about that. It might have signifiers when you look back at it. Right. Like, and the, there's, like, a moment where, uh, what's Steve Buscemi character's name? Uh, Nick. Nick, like... Uh, they're talking about a, a cure or a drug for to, to combat AIDS. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, we'll have that in 2000, year 2000. And I was like, that sounds like it's about right. I think he kind of nailed it. Uh, yeah. Very <laughs> I mean. Very trenchant. Very. It was after 2000. But, yeah. Close I, enough. I, yeah, <laughs> 2010. Was it 2010? Something I, like I want to say that, it, yeah, it was, it, was it, was, it was later than he said, but it was, like, far enough in the future that it was, like, oh, yeah, well, we're not, like, we yeah, will have it, it, but we're not going to have it for me. Right, and I, and this is very much in the 80s, so it's, it's, there's still kind of, like, the idea that this is a, a gay disease floating around and that they're not putting the effort into it uh, because they don't care about that community as much. Yeah. Nick very much has angry feelings because that's that was kind of the general consensus at the time. We all know now that that's not the case, but it just happened to be very prevalent in the gay community at the time. So they went, oh, only it only affects these people. Well, it was at first, and then um, eventually it got to be a point where like it could, like no one could ignore it anymore. Right. But they like the Reg the Reagan administration was perfectly happy to just let gay people die. Right. And that was that was the anger. Uh, yes. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it could affect anybody. <laughs> it's just that at the time, because the way it was being publicized and, and so forth and so on, is only affecting gay people. Like, yeah, it didn't get the funding and such yep. that it deserved. Um, I yep. mean, it deserves that funding either way. I'm just saying that that's the way they played it back then. That's all. I'm not making. I don't even know judgment. if they mentioned that in the movie, but no, that's well, Nick very much part has, of the and Mike very much has angry feelings. Like to at one point when Bobby is going to leave, he's like, and he's like, "You just you you know, you didn't even <coughs> excuse me, um, you didn't even uh, want to stay because you didn't want to have to deal with me dealing with Nick dying, mm -hmm. and uh, you don't want to come back then either because I'm gonna go after every politician who's ignoring this. And oh yeah. And like every uh, smug uh, Christian. Yeah. Who, yeah. He said born those. again Christian, and I kind of got the impression that what that meant was like people in his own community saying I'll pray for you and that kind of stuff. Well, because somebody that he runs into at the party does say that, and that was like how I 
got that context. Or they say it to Nick, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the idea was the, there was a lot of the smug Christians going like, yeah, they got the gay disease. Like, oh, at the time. Oh, I didn't even read it that way. I, and that's what he was... I read it as, like, him responding to, like, people in his own community saying, like, I'll pray for you. Got it. I mean, but I don't think that's something for him to become militant about. It's, no, I, I guess that makes it, it sense. It was smug Christians, so I was like, oh, I get it. You're All the smug people but say, he said see, you shouldn't ag- have been gay. He, he like, said born again. I think he specifically s- I could be wrong. Okay. Maybe I'm misremembering it. I remember he called one of the groups smug. Well, born-again Christians are a very... <laughs> anyway, we're in the well, yeah, yeah. I guess we don't really need to go into it. Um, no, but Brady we said... Well, you said how you liked it, Brady. Tess, if you said how you like it, yeah. Oh, uh, I really liked it. Um, and, God, I feel dumb for even saying this, but uh, it's been a long time since I've seen boys in the band. It reminded me of, like, a larger scope version of that play. And... Uh, or the movie version I've seen. I know that it's a play. I haven't seen the play version, but I did see the movie version. Um, and it reminds me of like a larger scope, more ensemble piece of that. And uh, I liked this better. Maybe, I don't know, if anyone listens to this, <laughs> maybe they're going to think I'm real wrong. But uh, I liked it better than Boys in the Band, which it remind me of, reminded me of. Um, and I, I really, I actually really, really liked it a lot. I wish, uh, that, um, we could, well, we should maybe rewatch it sometime. I don't think I've ever dark. seen Boys in the Band, so. <laughs> uh, I, I actually watched it in a, uh, theater class and not a film class. Okay. Because it's more, it's more well known as a play than a film. I, I don't know it at all. It is not well known to me. What is Boys in the Band? Uh, it's, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, I guess, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's a movie of a bunch of uh, gay men who, re- like, reconnect to hang out, and I think they do this, like, every so often, and it's just them spending the night kind of talking about their interpersonal drama. Uh, and uh, it reminded me a lot of that. But it's been, like, I saw it in college, which is, like, 15 years ago. So I can't get more in depth than that, but sure, it reminded surely me. Surely, only it. ten years ago. Surely, surely. Surely, yes, ten. we're not that old. Um, at any rate, uh, I there's no way I like this movie. All right, um, I kind of uh, I like the the way. I mean, there weren't that many movies made about the gay community and so forth and so on, so I think Brady will probably have some background eventually on on why this was an important work that was like, okay, nobody made a movie like that. But it's it's nicer than um, when you see movies now that are kind of um, trying to talk about this or that, is that you know, everything's got to be very highlighted and dramatic that this person is gay or this. Th- and I, I like the fact that, no, no, they're just doing their normal thing. Well, and we get to watch. Well, it was because it was made by a gay exactly. man. Exactly. But it, but it wasn't sensationalized, the fact that, that they were gay or the fact that anybody was who they were. Oh, I, I really like that about the movie is that you just kind of walk in and you're like, okay, I'm just watching this normal thing as opposed to it having to be highlighted or, or um, telegraphed that like, here's a gay couple and you know, so forth. So I There's really a I agree lot with this. of reasons that, but this was like an indie film, and I'm sure, 
like weekend is another good example of like like a more modern example of how you can just sure. have a movie that's like not sensationalizing it right. because it's I'm, not like a marketing gimmick like, gimmick like when uh fucking Endgame or whatever it was came out mm-hmm. and they were like we're going to have one scene where a gay guy talks about his relationship and that's going to be our representation and we're going to call it revolutionary like sure, I'm, if so you allow people I'm just explaining the one thing I wanted joke. to talk about <laughs> or, I'm sorry no, I'm saying, I didn't mean that's to interrupt one, that's one thing I like about it um, another thing I, I liked about it is there are these little kind of sort of subtextual tweaks um, like when he first goes over to Nick's you know kind of lays out their relationship that they're friends they're like arm wrestling or something like that mm-hmm. but then you know at, at that point you're kind of like oh I don't even know if Nick's gay or not and because we don't know that he's dying of AIDS initially that yeah. also that's another thing they don't really you know it's not telegraphed up front to the viewer of they that Im- either they imply it eventually yeah it comes about that that's just the case but nobody has to say he's dying of AIDS <laughs> like they don't have right. to, they don't have to lay it well, out for you well this came they out just... in the middle of the AIDS epidemic so right. i'm assuming it was more at the forefront of people's brains than it would be today right but what i'm saying is that the scenes were played very real because it's like you walk over you wouldn't say to nick like how's the aids buddy like or <laughs> something <laughs> or telegraph Christ. it or do anything like that I, I would not do that right no one would do that no one would do that so of course they did not do that. i'm just saying i could imagine a movie the about the 80s coming out today where like they wrote yeah i'm saying that the things the scenes played very realistically and the people act as people would i liked that about the film and then they do little sub- subtle tweaks to kind of show you their relationships and, and such. Like, for instance, when he goes over to Nick's the first time, they don't mention the AIDS. He's just going to hang out with his buddy. They arm wrestle, and then um, the arm wrestling turns into just kind of like a little cuddling thing a little bit. Yeah. And so, like, that kind of rollover, you go like, okay, wait, I don't know if he's gay. Okay, you've kind of now told me without having to tell me. Like you've just been able to put this forward very uh, clearly and mm-hmm. and and in a nice way. Um, we also see that he's basically there to make sure Steve Buscemi's character eats. Right. He's like his the caretaker, the mm-hmm. mom to his friends. Exactly. Um, so that I liked about it. Um, I like the young kid uh, who you know he meets at the store, uh, the record store, and how the young kid kind of has his viewpoint of. You know, he's bare all of 20 and a half. <laughs> like, and he, he's kind of got this look on it. Oh, well, stop telling me about the good old days or, or blah, 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 because he's just growing up in the middle of the AIDS ep- ep- uh, epidemic when, uh, and then when Mike is talking about Nick and him, you know, tearing the town up and having a great old time, it was pre-AIDS. And that kind of is able to put context to what's going on. Yeah, and Steve uh, Buscemi's kind of rolling his eyes at him, but it's... The thing I like about this movie and that character is he's a very conservative gay man because he wants he wants a suburban life by all accounts. He wants to live stable out in the sticks, and most you know most of the people in the room with him are probably of a much more revolutionary and activist mind. They came out uh, probably having more to fight than this young kid would back in those days. Um, but it I like the uh, diversity of it. I think Bill Sherwood is saying, like, listen, even within our subculture, mm-hmm. there's so many different kinds of us. Like, if you think you have us figured out, like, I'm going to show you a wealth of different kinds of people. Right. Uh, so there was that. Um, those are the things I liked about it. I mean, 
I don't really have any criticisms per se, um, but you know the film was good. I it just wasn't super duper special to me. It's, for me, it's just like a straight up eighty five percent B. That's a good movie. Like you that's know. your third B in a <laughs> row. We got to get you something. Well, something to get excited about. You know me. Like nothing you. really much speaks <laughs> to me anymore, and everything's kind of just middle. Line. <laughs> Period. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, no, I give it a B. And did you get a letter grade out? Uh, I didn't know I would have to. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I would say like a B, B plus for me. Um, it, was, it was a really interesting time capsule. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. I liked seeing all of the normalization of, you know, all these relationships that, uh, you know, I, and I, I tend to watch television and movies where I don't uh, generally assume anything. Uh, so it was, you know, uh, I'm trying to figure out. Like, I wish, I wish we'd waited like a day so I could make some notes. <laughs> but. Uh, I usually kind of tend to watch things and assume that no one is necessarily straight. Um, so watching, sitting down and watching a movie where everyone is gay didn't feel that, you know, outside of the norm to me. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, um, I liked seeing all the little slices of life and all the different relationships everyone has together. And uh, I especially liked um, the the woman who was, uh, what's his name, Cecil? Yeah, Cecil is the the other government worker who they have the goodbye dinner with. And I think he was talking about working in Japan or translating Japanese or something. I can't remember exactly. But he was uh, married to this woman who was kind of hanging out with, was it Mike was the one he was hanging out? Yeah, she they paired out? off after dinner right. because Bobby has the working relationship with the husband. And so Michael went off to, you know, trade stories with the wife and, and talk. So she's, she's great. Uh, like my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the movie was where he goes, so have you ever, uh, have you ever, um, What's he say? Cheat? Have had you ever cheated? Have you ever had an affair? Like he used the word, "Have you ever had an affair?" And she took that opportunity to talk to him about orgies that she's been to. <laughs> and I just thought that was really great. Um, <laughs> like she's my favorite, and she might like it, like it's sort of implied that maybe she's his beard but doesn't know it, or maybe she kind of does and is in denial, and like. He maybe doesn't know that she's his beard. It's like it's like really complicated. Yeah, and she thinks but that he doesn't know that they're gay, yeah, or that they're dating. At that least. they're dating. Like it, she doesn't say she doesn't know that they're gay. She just says she do, that he doesn't know that they're together. Yeah. So those are the words that are used. Um, uh, and she has to pretend that she doesn't know that they're together. Anyway, it's like this whole complicated thing. Um, One of the things I did find weird about it, though, was that, like, uh, when they're leaving the party, or they're leaving the dinner party part, where it's just Mm -hmm. the two of, like, the four of them, uh, 
He says, uh, so he likes Polly and he likes boys. So that's, like, what's wrong with that? And, like, no one ever says the word bi or anything like that. And I thought that was just, like, a really kind of 80s approach. <laughs> we, we, yeah, I mean, I think at the, at the time during the 80s, you know, there was gay uh, from the outside looking in. Right. Or the inside looking out, or, or whatever it is. Or and even then, within and the then, own and then that, that community, maybe. And nobody really bothered to classify people. They're just like, oh, you're you're one of the American public, or you're you're the, the other the other kind. <laughs> you're the one of the American <laughs> public. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that's the way it was just looked at. <laughs> nobody really talked about the spectrum of sexuality, or, or tried to classify different types of. No. They, they just went, yeah, you're, it seems you're, like. You're, you're, you're straight like most of us, or the you're the uh, the, the there's the gay people over there. I by no <laughs> means lived through this in like any matter of the queer community. Like th- what I experience today is like bisexuality is very much a thing, and I feel like in the '80s maybe you kind of went either you're you're gay or you're straight or. Maybe sometimes you like this one specific person and you're also mostly gay or you're pretending or you're bi, but we don't really say bi. Like, I don't really know how it worked in the 80s, but it seems like this movie doesn't acknowledge that. Well, and I think that the American public's just understanding of alternative sexuality, um, you know, aside from whispered backroom conversations, was predicated based on what happened in the 60s where sure. everything was just out the window and and <laughs> anybody just did whatever they wanted and they went okay they're all those crazy hippies and that oh, that's that an went interesting in, idea and that went yeah. on through the the 70s and then it was around the 80s when they started to classify there's those gay people over there and I then everyone else is straight some and research then, before this and then people started after that started to go like well there's gay and then there's bisexual i guess and then you know more recently, pansexual and all, all the other various different flavors of the way yeah. we like to, to classify and the and spectrum. intersect, but, yeah. you know, yeah. they, they didn't even... In other words, we now have many, many, many different words that talk about all this stuff. And back then, they just had, what? You're either normal or you're that other kind over there. Or you're one of those 60s free queer. love, whatever the hell. <laughs> you're like, yes, uh, queer's... Queer's the way it's put now. That was probably less favorable in 1986 of a word to use. It was used I, think as a they slur. Re- I think they but reclaimed that around the 60s or 70s. Oh, okay. I mean, it was still a slur then. Right. I, I, remember, gr- I remember it being a slur when I was growing up. To say, so you know, queer studies and the queer community now. That's okay. Right. But when I was growing up, I don't. That wasn't really quite. All right. <laughs> All right. I, I, I think they just said gay lesbian studies or whatever if they were talking about L- that. LGBT, I think, maybe? I don't think they even said queer, like, in 1990. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't recall it. Again, also, I was a child, huh. so they probably went, well, oh, we, we don't want to confuse you with this talk, so they didn't talk about it in front of me. When I was <laughs> in school, we had yeah. the GSA, and that was it. GSA. Gay Straight Alliance. Oh, yeah, we didn't. <laughs> Which meant straight people talking over gay people for 30 minutes on your lunch break. All right, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we had that. We didn't have any. I, I don't know. It, they just... We just didn't talk about it in school when I was growing up. Oh, you, yeah, I went, well, 
I can't imagine your school having a gay street alliance. I mean, there's a prayer circle around the fucking flagpole. Oh, boy. Uh, was there? Uh, yeah. That was yeah, in high school. In high school, yeah. That they was go what the you flag- did. <laughs> <laughs> they go around the flagpole and hold hands and pray, and everybody would kind of look at them and like, well, they're kind of weird, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. That was the club they allowed? Oh, boy. Well, they had clubs. You know, they had computer club, and they had drama, mm-hmm. which was a class and a club and a, a, a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Drama always is. Yeah, and then football, and, you know, they had uh, choir, and, you know, they had clubs. No gay straight stuff. alliance at your uh, high they, school. They though. had a an underground paper. That was kind of an unofficial club. Where Did we have an underground paper? Yeah, I think Mr. Rice was the one publishing it. Oh, uh, yeah. Who wrote for it? Um... I don't, it was anonymous. Oh, oh, was it? Oh, it was anonymous? <laughs> well, this was during the whole Columbine thing where, like, you know, basically they were kind of pointing the finger at kids they viewed to be problematic and unofficially expelling them and this and that. And that so. Yeah. <laughs> All that shit. Um, anyway, we're kind of off the topic here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm making this your worst podcast ever. No, I it's great. I, I think okay, we can I'd, course correct. Yeah. <sighs> Um, so we did How Did We Like It, and uh, then the next episode What exactly is this film all about? I mean, aside from a, a time capsule, as you said, a slice of life of the particular era and a particular um, group of people living in said era. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, right, because I think... I think it's very much about the AIDS crisis. I think it's mm-hmm. very much a New York City movie. It's about New York City at the time. Um, you know, and you get a lot of details about the technology of the time. Uh, so Michael's an editor, so he's like, should I invest in like a word processor? <laughs> and I was like, well, it's $4,000 for a good one. Holy cow! <laughs> so it's, it's about that. Um, but I think what it is, and pretty openly I'd say, is it's, um, a goodbye movie, and so part of its game in capturing the time period with so much detail is that it's a movie that's thinking about, and particularly in relation to AIDS, uh, the fact that all of this is going away. Like whatever's coming next, it's going to be different because huge, big changes are happening as a result of of AIDS and of just times changing as they will. And so in this goodbye party you get kind of a, a microcosm of a goodbye to larger social things, to the to 1986, basically. Uh, and, you know, and this uncertainty about what the future will hold. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's what it's about. It's about looking at a, a very specific time period, and uh, much like Rob's favorite movie, The Leopard, maturely uh, <laughs> but bittersweetly uh, saying goodbye to it. Hmm. I think it's about. Did you hate the leopard? Oh. No, I mean, it was, it was fine. I just, it, it didn't register to me. I was just like, there's this thing on the screen in the room in front of me, and uh, yeah. it, it did what it did, and now. It's now. just a whole people, a whole bunch of people dancing from room to room. They do do that? Yeah. It'll get to part all. Hmm. And all that. Rob was upset there were no leopards. Yeah, you can go check out our... I was also upset there were no leopards. I picture them all... So when I rethink of that movie, The Leopard, I picture them all walking from room to room wearing elaborate costumes made of leopard print. (laughs) 
Yes. Uh, well, you could look at our, I think it's episode number six or something in the Carnivorous Studios feed. Was David on it? David was on it. Good. He, was. he liked it. Yes. And then we, and then he we did. He probably knew all about the history and stuff, too. And he suggested the bad sleep well for the next following week, I think, and that's what we did. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah. That's true. Can I suggest next week's movie? Since I'm we'll here get as there. a guest. We'll get there. Okay. All right. Well, We'll, we'll do what's called a tease. Mm. Later, Tess will suggest next week's movie. <laughs> All right. I'll think about it. Oh, you tease. So what do you think this film was about? Uh, I think it was about gay culture in the late 80s in New York. Admitted. It was released 1986. 19, it was released 1986. Okay, yeah. I thought it was, like, taking place in 1987. Uh, so, mi- yeah, mid-80s. Um, yeah, I think it was about gay culture in the mid-80s in uh, New York specifically, um, which was, I'm assuming, a big scene for that, uh, you know, because you couldn't just go anywhere in the 80s and have it be okay. Yeah. Um. At least I assume I didn't live through this and I couldn't do any research because we watched the movie and came in here and I'm having to remember things. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds stressful. Yeah, I'm stressed. Sorry, I thought this was just how we always did it. Um, No, in the past we've watched it and then taken a break and then I got to go home and like do research and then we did it the next day we'd record. Yeah, but you were already home. Because you live here. Yeah, but, okay. All right. Um, I mean, I'm just just saying I haven't been on this podcast in a while, and I just feel like I'm jumping into it, and maybe I should have done some research. I like sounding sounding smart. I like sounding smart on these things and not like a dumb person going, uh, well, I think that maybe in the 80s things were like this in New York, a place I've never lived in a time I've never lived through. Yes, I understand. I was just, uh, sorry. Especially in the gay community, which I only know from online and uh, college. I'll give you more time next time. I'm sorry. Um, so what I thought this film was about, uh, I like a couple of things that it does here, which is that it, it opens and it's centered on a, um, you know, a couple where one person's leaving. He's going to leave and go very far away, and then theoretically he'll come back, and then everything will be all right, and, and so forth. Um, but I wrote it down here. I wrote, uh, Bobby and Mike's geographically separated relationship is a backdrop uh, for saying goodbye much like they are to Nick. Um, and that there are so many things in this film that are just... Um, and, you know, when I've heard interviews i'm also not typically well versed in all you know the history and and what was going on but when i've heard interviews about um you know with gay people about living through this time and watching all their friends die like um that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of obviously what it's about yeah um you know and then there's this idea um there there was a neat thing they did with nick so, I mean, again, the whole um, Nick has AIDS thing, but they don't really talk about it. Y- uh, Brady already knew, so he already kind of said it, and then you started talking about, you know, how it, uh, the makeup kind of makes his eyes look sunken and, and this and that, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I would have, if just coming into the film blind, 
known that we were talking about Nick and AIDS and stuff, and it kind of very slowly builds into that. What about when he was making his will? Right. That's after. But that's halfway through the movie. But okay. our first introduction, and essentially what I'm saying is that it eases you into it by, first it's about this relationship and this relationship sort of ending and, you know, uh, they're splitting up all their possessions at the beginning going like, is this mine or yours? Your parents gave me this? But like, trying to figure all that kind of stuff out. And um, I... There's a argument they have about whether or not to bring an umbrella, and then he ends up leaving the umbrella behind at his boss's house. Right. And I, I was... There's something about that that I would like to say, but I don't know what it is because I haven't... <laughs> I, they, like, that's obviously, like... Uh-huh. Um, there's a symbolism there, and I really haven't quite fleshed it out in my mind to be able to come up with it. Um, oh, When yeah. they're at that first dinner also, at one point they said, well, how do you feel about uh, Mike leaving? And and all this and um, or Bobby, sorry. Uh, how do you feel about Bobby leaving? And Mike uh, says that obviously there's something more going on because he says, "Oh, I've got more serious things on my mind." And this is how the film slowly brings us into the actual crisis that's going on here. It starts mm-hmm. by misleading you with about this crisis that's happening in a relationship, which is which is a small. Uh, representation of this much larger thing that everyone in the community is dealing with, mm-hmm. which is not only that they're saying goodbye to Nick, but they're saying goodbye to so many of their friends and so much of of what's happening and like that what Mike's going through and his anger and all that, you know, and and that thing that we were talking about before, mm-hmm. where where he's railing against like uh, and every smug Christian and every politician and every yeah. doctor that's not, you know. Like, uh, that's what it's talking about, and that's what it's leading into. So. That's really insightful, Rob. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, what do you think about the scene where, like, his maybe dead friend shows up? I, I wasn't really sure what was going yeah. on um, wait, wait, there, but me, it let seems... Me ca- oh, sorry. Let me cap let what I just said, because okay. I've got one last right, thing to say, right. which is essentially the film on its own is acting much like the relationship and all these little hints do, it's a film made by a queer man who also died from complications due to AIDS. Um, Correct. Introducing mm-hmm. the public to the struggle that his people are going through. Uh, yes. So in, in the way that it thematically does that, the film itself is here, public, look. Sorry, yeah, that, that was the capper I was trying to put on. And the scene where his friend mm-hmm. comes to visit him, go ahead. No, no, I was asking you what you thought about it because I didn't make any notes. Well, yeah, but ask, <laughs> ask the question because I uh, didn't quite get... Give well, me a second. Well, <laughs> uh, what did you... Because that was like one of the more surreal moments in the film. Right. Um, there weren't really surreal moments other than that. Um, the, <laughs> the Steve Buscemi character getting mad at the German guy... That, um, was, that surreal, was surreal, but it wasn't something that I thought didn't happen. Yeah, I know. But you know what I mean? It's like it it kind of seemed unreal and not like something that... Uh, Do you think he hallucinated that too? I don't think he hallucinated it, but like in the plot Part of the, the film. But yeah. I just mean that... Um, I just mean that that was a, a weird... Th- that was unrealistic and out of character for like how real every other scene in the film is like these people are talking about this and mm-hmm. well, that was kind of like like all of a sudden Billy Jack like <laughs> you right. know girlfriend getting raped down by the river over the top what the hell what it's are you talking about 
I don't want to know. Yeah, no. The Legend of Billy Jack, there's, uh, it's a over-the-top movie. I was comparing that sort of, like, he's putting a knife to the guy's throat and saying, like, hey, why don't you let me go ahead and, you know. That at least kind of made sense in context. Well, I think I know what's, I mean, I'll I'll talk about that. This was, like, the one weird, really weird thing that happened, is, like, he hallucinates this ghost Right. Christmas past, like, outside of his door. (laughs) It's a death dream sequence, basically. Um, Well, I mean, it brings us... Okay. Let me talk about the German. All right, talk about the German. And I will talk about the other guy, too, but I think it's important to bring up this whole thing that he did at the party before that happens, because I see them as linked. Okay. So the German, I feel, uh, is kind of... He's, first of all... He's playing the piano and stuff, and his uh, wife is dancing around the room and going and hooking up with some other straight dude uh, in the bathroom at, at some point. Or bye. But when know. he's playing the piano, the film does a really cool thing, which is they use it to they use his piano playing, which constantly is changing and this and that. And mm-hmm. he has there's a dr- dramatic change, and as Nick walks into the party, which is this party's mm. a going away party for Bobby. But Nick has walked into the party, and the entire scene oh. and the entire mood of the room changes because the piano is driving this, and it's it's almost scoring it with the piano that the German guy's playing. It's almost the like when someone coming. walks into a like bar in a western, and the right. the the floor creaks and everything changes. Right. So <laughs> like. Uh, you know the um, the party's going on. Everything is good. This is actually a celebration of of Bobby's uh, more uh, awesome. You know he's gonna go do something career-wise and this and that. Uh, and all of a sudden, now the reality has come to bear. The specter is coming. Nick, who represents death, who's who's the one going through this, and everyone at that party knows it. Right. Comes in, and the whole thing takes a turn. Huh. And then the German. The whole thing was, uh, <laughs> like, he's kind of off his rocker, partially because c- he doesn't care because he's dying, and this and that, but, you know, he uh, sneaks up on the German guy. He, obviously, he just, for whatever reason, doesn't like the German guy. He just doesn't like him, <laughs> and the German guy's kind of stalking around the place looking for his wife, and he's like, what? does anybody see my wife? Is she in the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's going on? And and that's when he sneaks up on him and goes like, uh, you know, like you killed, uh, you guys killed my grandmother, right? Because right. Um, so at any rate, it seems to me that the German, the German represents. No, he calls him a Nazi. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and it seems to me that the German represents death, and like that altercation between Nick and him is symbolic of Nick's like sort of struggle with his impending death. Because uh, he even says to him when he's got the knife to his throat, he's like, "Okay, fine, perform it for me." And the German guy just goes. Which is the German word for death. Um, and is that what was happening? Yeah, well, he was talking about it. He was just like, look, I'm an artist. I perform and, and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, okay, perform for me. And he just says dead in German in like a dramatic way. Oh. And then uh, he goes like, okay, so how about this? You're going to uh, make some stuff and you're going to let me, uh, you know, make a video of it and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Essentially saying... All right, Death, how about this? We make some plans for me to be actually able to go do some shit because I'm not going to... I thought he was asking... I'm not going to I'm not gonna live knowing... It. No, I, that's fine. But I'm not going to live with keeping dying, right? I'm going to make plans, and you're going to help me. Brady has something. Yeah, let me hop in here. It's been yeah. two minutes. Um, I, I like that take. I also think the German 
it can be read in a meta way as what Bill Sherwood as a filmmaker is not doing. Because the reason I think that Bashemi doesn't like the German, even though this scene actually plays out with Joan, the host of the party, and Bashemi's off somewhere, but I presume that he hears their conversation. What the German basically says is he, he's very glib and cavalier about all the pain going around him from AIDS. He's looking to mine it for art. He's looking to tap mm. into pain. And you know, nowadays we have a term for films that go really hard on exploiting miserable emotions, and we call it pain porn. And so this German kind of misery a, porn, yeah, misery porn, pain porn, uh, has that vibe about him. And I think no, I think uh, sh no, that's no. That's oh. something else. <laughs> Schadenfreude is taking uh, satisfaction in other people's downfall. Yeah, when I think about misery porn, I think about it in the same way as in that we like watching miserable people. Sure. It gives me satisfaction. But anyway, this is a on. matter of, of exploitation. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the host walks away from him with a sour look because it's like, that's all you can come up with? Like, obviously there is pain here, but you should be real about it and not be trying to just use this for fodder because, you know, feeling miserable is so dramatic. Uh, and I think Sherwood does the opposite here by letting AIDS always be in the background, but not making his film literally about the mm. pain and anguish of AIDS. Yep. And so I can re I read that in kind of a meta way. And it's yeah. like don't don't make just like a miserable slog. That's not the point. And pain, death is so anguishing because it interrupts life, which can be so joyful. It shouldn't just your art shouldn't just be about like oh dripping the hot candle wax of grief all over yourself. That's such a good like, point, ah. honey. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of my thought is. Um, I I like that and yeah. um, but okay. That's yes. what made this so good. Agreed. Is, um, it was not wasn't, it wasn't, it's, and it's very funny. And um, it wasn't focusing all, on that. AIDS. It's like, oh, look at this poor man with AIDS. Like it was just. Bashemi's the first person to be like that. He's just like, ah, fuck you, coming through. Excuse yeah, me, exactly. give me a beer. Right. Like, and that's what that's how a straight person would make this film. Sure. Um. I mean, look, I I agree, with, I agree with all the things you said. I I, I feel <laughs> no, like. No, I'm just saying. Well, no, I wasn't just saying. I was going to talk about the 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 guy coming the dream. <laughs> I do want to talk about the dream. So, um, let's. I like that scene because it's very funny. <laughs> well, it's getting rather warm in here. Do you want to tease that and then? Uh, let's just talk the dream and then. We'll okay, back. we'll talk the dream first. It's pretty simple. Okay. So. An old friend, because we know this is, as Rob said, this is all about they're losing friends. Even if we're not, we're only seeing one friend who hasn't been lost yet, but we know that, that they've lost friends. And so this guy shows up in a knight's suit of armor, and then he pulls up his face, and Steve Buscemi's like, oh, it's you, like, what's up, buddy? Um, and that scene is played so weird, but I like its humor, because he's basically just like, oh, dude, heaven fucking sucks. Like, live it <laughs> up here. Heaven yeah. is boring. Also, Michael's making you listen to a bunch of opera. That sucks too, bro. And baseball's way cheaper. You should do that. And he's like, peace. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what could have been this painful, haunting thing is just, like, almost like Monty Python-esque yeah. like, black humor. And I agree. It's the weirdest scene in the movie, but I, I kind of like it. In this Almodovar way, it just, like, goes weird for a second. It's like, yep. Yeah. And that happens. So so my question was, when he rolls in there and he's saying, like, repent, 
Oh, he's fucking. Is that with him, him fucking he's with him? He's just fucking with him. Okay, I couldn't tell if it was. And then he's like, you know, he does like the bit where he's like, oh, by the way, uh, heaven sucks, you know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell it to you straight. Oh, hey, man, hey, mate, how you doing? <laughs> like, it reminds me of that scene in Princess Bride where, like, the torture guy, like, is like, you're in the pit of despair, and then, like, clears his throat <laughs> and is like, oh, we're not letting you out. I think that was kind of the joke. <laughs> it's always a good bit. The dramatic the guy bit. who doesn't actually sound dramatic. Like Murray, the talking skull. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, Monkey like Island. That. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I think, I think in general, Monkey Island's fair game to reference. Oh, yeah. yeah. As if people Prince get it. Um, if you don't get it, exactly. educate yourself. <laughs> okay, let's take a break and do understudy. Alright. And then, All right. then Sounds good. we can go from there. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to guess the actors, try to guess the movies. Tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. Oh, you know, when I'm when I'm at home, I'm absolutely fine. Fine? Yeah, completely. I don't I don't care and I don't even think about it. I just I'm not embarrassed. I'm not I'm not ashamed and I don't I don't want to be straight. You know, not now anyway. I'm happy. I'm happy being gay. But? Oh, it's when I go outside, like, you know, just to Jamie's or, or to Tesco's or to work. It, it kind of, it, it's hard to explain, but it, <laughs> it kind of feels like I've got indigestion. It actually really feels exactly like indigestion. And it just makes me angry, you know. That I feel like that because, because it's so fucking pathetic. You, you know, I'm a grown man, and I look at you, and, and I see you, and you can do it, and you're amazing. I just don't understand why I can't. Oh, you know your log thing? Yeah. You're right about people coming out and what their parents say and stuff. Yeah? I just wondered why. Um... Well, it it, it, it it interests me. It, uh, it's like um, everyone's got their story, haven't they? It's uh, it's like a gay rite of passage, but you don't. I suppose, yeah. That's what I thought. Did, did you ever think about finding your parents? No, not really. Why not? Mm, I don't really see the point. You know, I don't think it would change anything. Ah. Uh. Why don't I try to be your dad and, and, and you come out to me? That is so weird. Uh, just ignore the fact that we had sex, okay? Mm, I don't think I can ignore the fact we just had sex. Try. Okay. Dad, I've got something that I need to tell you. What is it? I'm gay. I like guys, not girls. Well, you know what, son? doesn't fucking matter to me. I mean, I, I, I love you just the same. And guess what? What? I couldn't be more proud of you than if I were the first man on the moon. 
That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C A R N Y Couch. Well, that was a fun episode of Understudy that we did. <laughs> that was great. It was amazing. Good pick, Brady. Thank you. Uh, I really liked the part where you did the thing with the thing. Yes, and as always, uh, when we do understudy, uh, you can tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y-Couch, and then uh, guess what character we were doing, and also possibly um, what movie that scene was from. And Brady might notice that tweet among all the other notifications he receives on Twitter for all of his hilarious tweets. Oh, you. Oh, you. I highly recommend. Uh, Brady is the curator, mostly, of this uh, this Twitter. It's and uh, it's our, he it's is absolutely hilarious. Highly recommended. <laughs> then why don't you marry me? I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We we haven't uh, even really touched on Least that. We, we told them that we moved to a new Carnivorous Studios, but uh, three weeks ago when we did our first one in uh, 16 months or whatever it was, uh, you guys, yeah, congratulations, Tess and Brady. It's well, good to thank have you. you. It's been a year. It's good to have you both on this podcast so I can congratulate you. you together and save the hassle. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and congratulations to you on everything and Pogue. So, (laughs) off the topic of marriage, back to the topic of gay marriage, or rather just uh, this movie. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Back to the subject of gay. Yes, quite right, quite right. Yeah. Uh, Try to keep this close to you. What? What difference does that make? It's on a cord. Uh, Yeah, but it's wireless, and that stupid radio station comes in if it's... uh, it oh. gets too far away from you because it makes it pick up the radio. I see. <laughs> it, could okay. be, it could be mine, too, but I think it's the green one. Oh, dear. That's okay. You hold it there, it'll I'll be fine. I'll just uh, hold it close to my... I'll keep it close to my chest. Hold it tight, yes. Um, so, all right. I, I've already said I think this is a great New York movie, uh, and I just want to, like, develop that because i've been I've been watching a lot of eighties movies, some of which are set in New York lately. I've been loving getting into the early work of Jonathan Demme, mm. um, who why are you watching all these eighties movies Brady and, and of course Spike Lee right um, and I just oh think boy. this is such a great addition to uh, these filmmakers who are very good at depicting a very tactile and very vibrant New York City mm-hmm. um, and that like just relish in things that you might be. You know, if you're like a picky filmmaker, you'd be like, does that need to be there? Like, we have a lingering shot of like Steve Buscemi has graffiti from the street framed on his wall. And many, many, many TVs. And many TVs. He's got so many TVs. It's just all this, this kitsch and detail and art of the period. And I think this movie fits in with that tradition of just like, we've got a really vibrant city here in the 80s for all the problems that take place in New York during that time. Um, and just just really harnessing the, the feeling this. You can just reach out and touch all this stuff. I think that's mm. very cool um, because it's a movie about, uh, as we said, it's about trying to capture all this, and so what better way to do it than with all that detail, with all that talk about what word processor people are using and what's the cost of an IBM and do we what does the art look like? know what part of New York they were in in this movie? I don't. It seems to be upscale, though. Like, 
Manhattan. And, and their jobs are like very uh, pretty upscale yeah, jobs. Seems, it seems like they're all pretty well established. They're not having a, a, a money issue or. Do no, they live like, in Manhattan? Yes. Yeah, I don't know, but that. Seems it seems like kind of like they might live in Manhattan. Well, when I was reading the blurb on the film, it said Manhattan. So oh well, go. there you go. <laughs> so all right. You know. Thank you for doing the research <laughs> so we can <laughs> confirm that. Well, that was just the blurb in the description on the Pirate Bay because I was trying to find a, a better <laughs> right. a better copy of it. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Well, yes. No, it's hard. And and yes, I did get it on the Pirate Bay, and everyone, you should get your movies there, too. <laughs> here's me maybe advocating for mm-hmm. this. Maybe get this all right. your queer yeah. cinema on the Pirate Bay. Maybe this Please is a good do. place to say um, we all wish we knew a little bit more detail than we do about this period if anything a movie like this is very educational to us in seeing 1980s and gay new york with more detail um but that said i think i know enough to say this is yeah you're getting maybe a, a pretty privileged picture of the gay community a segment that has basically office jobs yeah you know, one of them i was thinking that the entire travel. time and so i know enough to say this that this is just one little snapshot of a community that must have had, you know, many, many other facets from from the punk clubs to just all the different boroughs of New York, I'm sure, have details uh, and stories. Yeah, there's that famous rap song, Eight Million Stories in New York City, paraphrasing. And so, and if anything really is tragic about Bill Sherwood's early passing, it's the thought that maybe he could have gone on to tell even more of those stories. Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't know if he was diagnosed at the time of making this, but he, too, was a musician and a writer. So that character was kind of him. I'm wondering if Nick was kind of him and Mm -hmm. Mike was kind of the other him, Mm -hmm. and that he was making a film that kind of like, you know, having this kind of conversation with himself about being upset (laughs) about dying. Grappling with the situation. all the people around him who were like, I don't want you to go, dude. <laughs> like, so um, I don't know if that was. It, I mean, it's one of two things, right? E- either he uh, was aware that this was going to happen to him, or he'd just seen it happen so many times around him right. that he was dealing with it. Maybe we should have looked this up. <laughs> well, we've oh, all got phones. <laughs> it all can be done. <laughs> At any rate, um, I I still want to know about that umbrella. I'll, I'll proffer a take just for fun and just tie it back to, um, well, because like, I like this movie again because of how many details there are, of how many little toys and little art pieces and just, you know, tiny bric-a-brac. It's like the artifacts of the time are all over this thing. And if I could, if I could give a thematic thing for what the umbrella being left at the other couple's house is, maybe it's that like part of these artifacts are paying testament to to people who will die and like just leave behind leave behind the uh, pop culture of the era and just the things that they used to own and you know maybe that's maybe there's something to be said of loss there that yeah now granted Bobby isn't dying he's just going away on a long business trip but we have touched on how maybe that's a metaphor for the more permanent state of leaving that AIDS is causing and so him leaving behind an umbrella maybe is a reminder of, of people dying and leaving behind things that uh, testify to their memory. Tess, sorry. Is it weird that I thought 
like you left your umbrella here with some kind of a code? <laughs> oh, oh, well, I mean, the, the the couple had an argument about the umbrella, right? Like, yeah, like Michael didn't want to okay. He tried to leave, and then, um, at any rate... Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of with Brady on, on this one, though. I agree, because they mentioned it before. Yeah. But, like, just, like, so, like, I probably couldn't hear that line or something. And was mm-hmm. just, like, when they started, when she, like, called him up and was, like, you left your umbrella here. I was, like, is that some kind of a code for, like, my beard left? Right. Like, what? what is that? My beard mean? is not present. <laughs> I'm sorry, darling. The beard stepped out. It's I'm around. sorry. I just that was my first thought because I apparently missed this whole entire part of the movie where. It's well, you see, everybody, the beard's not right. here because I shaved today. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, no, um, they they have an argument about it. They're they're about to go to this dinner, and the okay. guy's like pulling an umbrella. He's like, "It's not going to rain." No, don't bring the umbrella because I'll be the one stuck carrying it around it at the party the whole right. night. And, and then it, it gets, doesn't. And rain. it gets left right. behind in the in the thing. Now, but he brings a whole ass chair to the party and is like, I'm just going to take this with me when I go. So why couldn't he put the umbrella there? Well, that's different. They found the chair on the street and he just had to have it. It was a brilliant antique someone threw out. If he didn't grab it, he could never have it. Well, that's where I'm with Brady on this. This this film has a thing about things, yeah. items and stuff left behind. There's the whole scene where, as Tess mentioned, where Steve Buscemi's um, like doing his video will... Uh, there's a, a scene where Buscemi and Mike And are he sma- asks the guy if he wants it, and he's like, don't show me that. Right. Like, something like that. But Mike and um, and Steve are, are breaking plates to, to kind of sort out their aggression and this and that. But there's yeah. there's a certain, like, thing that he's about to smash that, like, he goes, oh, wait, no, no, no. The, like, mm-hmm. he, fully knowing he's going to die is like, I like that one, though. Leave it. I w- like, I want to leave it to somebody. I want to give it to somebody. So I think that's where this whole umbrella thing is is that if the uh, relationship is a microcosm of you know the overall bringing us into people are saying mm-hmm. goodbye um, and more than just this sort of relationship mm-hmm. the idea that this person's now gone off to Nairobi not act- somewhere near Nairobi and he's going to go to Nairobi <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that he's left behind this umbrella and that like right. when these people uh, in this symbolic way died, they very much will in the same way leave behind all these things. And that, I think that's why that chair and that lamp are on right. the street or a is thing because, okay. you know, this is the gay neighborhood and people are dropping like flies. Oh, wow. That's like, interesting. That's, ki- that's kind of the way I interpreted this. They're picking up these, wow, this is a really nice lamp. This is really nice and I'm take I'm actually taking this with me and they give the lamp to her as a Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and but why yeah, are these fancy nice things around? Just like I didn't even the interpret street. them as nice. I just <laughs> yeah. I mean, and maybe it wasn't, and maybe it's just a thing about things. They seemed excited about it. <laughs> yeah, like, and she like yeah. she fully accepted the thing as a gift, and I was like, does that work? Maybe right. it does. <laughs> yeah. Can I just pick up junk on the road when I show up to a party and be like, I didn't bring one, but and here I you go. I didn't get a good. I didn't get a good <laughs> vision of it, but there was like the um uh, the Ken doll guy. Uh, Bobby? <laughs> his name, Bobby, uh, was just like, ah, God, that's like really, like, I really kind of hate this. Like, why are you picking this up? And he's like, no, just bring it with you. And like, I couldn't get a good image of it, but I like wondered if it was like, you know, a heterosexual couple, like in a lamp or something. <laughs> like, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if that is a detail that's just about like, 
Yeah, there was nice stuff out on the curb every day in Manhattan during this epidemic. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Another thing I'd say is I I think this movie is very generous and fair to all its characters, but Mm -hmm. we do see, and I know Tess really agrees here, that Bobby's a little selfish, right? Like, A, even though he offers this excuse that, like, no, no, like, if Nick's dying, I I want you to spend more time with him, heavily implied that he's being a bit of a coward, he doesn't want to deal with emotional fallout because he's not good at that. And so also maybe the thing with Bobby picking up the umbrella and picking up junk is that uh, it's a bit of a critique on his character that maybe he doesn't really think about the aftermath of what gets left behind and that other people have to deal with. So Michael has to go clean up Bobby's mess when he leaves because he insisted on bringing this umbrella for no reason to an older couple's house. Wow. That's a really astute observation. Oh, thank you. I was thinking about something and I don't remember what it was. Which is often how this podcast goes. Yeah, it happens to right? all of us. Like, I, I was like, I had such an astute thought and then like I was listening to Brady and went, this is better. <laughs> yeah, that's why I drop boxes around things. You got a box it. If you, I, I do stars. If something's really important, I'm like, star. Well, I mean, I mean, you often hear me on this podcast go like, all right, I've been through my boxes. Brady, you got any boxes? And Brady's never questioned that. I got stars I, and purple I, horseshoes. I, but, but, yeah, when I'm saying boxes, I'm just look, talking about the notes I took and what I wrote down. But, um, yeah, I wrote down they forget the umbrella. And then earlier on, I, I, I boxed umbrellas. I knew it was important. Yeah. I just didn't know why. So. Oh, also, here's something, Tess, you might appreciate. Mm. Uh, what is, because you're, A, I think it's cool, they actually raised the issue briefly of gay representation kind of mm-hmm. for the end of this film, where it's like 99% of things are about straights. Right. Which, like, I'm sure people in the gay community have known for a long time. Oh, but yeah. To have that in a, a film this early into the 80s is probably a pretty cool thing. Um, but what... You mentioned it. Do you remember what the first line... I'm going to get body here. I'm going to get fucking body. Uh, huh? Or, you know, frank about sexuality. Don't touch my sure. body. Uh, what, Don't what touch you, my uh, body. What are you trying to say? What's the first line in this movie, if anyone remembers? For uh, Shining I might have been wandering around getting a disarono when the movie started. I, I think it's jump. That's, or that's what I said when the guy jumped over the other guy. when he was. This is going to throw my theory <laughs> off if there is dialogue in that early <laughs> jogging scene. There's not. I, mean, I, I just said matter. jump when I saw the guy jump over the other guy. <laughs> I just that I was came, the first so line I, in the movie I to came, me. I came in when they were <laughs> wandering like the around game. their apartment, and then they were in the shower together. That's, that's where right. I sat down. That's when the first line of dialogue happens, and they've just had sex. Um, oh, I must have missed that. Heavily implied. They start going at it, and then they're in the shower. Okay. And the first line is just, I think Michael just says, I'm thirsty. Right. Which is like such like... A subtle and like realistic detail of like making this sexual experience real. Like it's paying attention to like oh yeah, and then afterwards like you're kind of thirsty. Then you want to go get a drink. So it's like I thought that was a subtle and cool thing to me about. And obviously, why would Bill Sherwood his his aim is to actually bring nuance and detail to something that doesn't have it. Yeah. But the fact that like he's like this is real, and this is probably a thing you don't think about if you're thinking about. Like gay relationships is like, yeah, afterwards, uh, uh, we're thirsty. I, can I just say that it doesn't seem to me like he's making a film for straight people? 
No, I think he's making a film. He's not making a movie to make him. you think about the way that gay people live. He's making a film about the way he and his friends interact with each other. Yeah. Right, and I think, but I think he's thoughtful to actually have that brim with real detail and con- concreteness. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. like I understand that these two things I've said. I don't think it's for my edification as a straight person. In other words, I, I've understood. I understand the two things I've said previously are kind of. I don't conflict. mean to attack you, but it oh just yeah. sounded kind of like you were talking about it, like he was trying to edify you, and I no. wanted to cor- cor- no, course what correct. What I mean is, I, I like very <laughs> much uh, that. Again, I've said earlier, I like very much that this movie uh, is very much about. This is just my normal life. Here it is. Or mm-hmm. This is our normal life. Here it is, and yep. stuff like that. And it's not like trying to educate you that. Uh, yeah. This out or t- like trying to telegraph these people are gay or, bu- or right. any of that. And then the other thing I said, um, I know I said at one point that like this kind of much in the way that the relationship introduces us to the idea of everybody's leaving and everybody's dying and stuff is much mm-hmm. like this film introduces the overall public at large. And I think sure. it serves to do that. I don't think it was necessarily on purpose, but this thing that's left behind the film as a whole, this you know, to stay on theme with mm-hmm. the metaphor of things left behind objects, umbrellas. This film does that, regardless of whether or not it was an attempt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so okay. Film, film does that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just because film does. I, I don't know that his intent was... I don't think his intent was to make it for anybody in general. He just went, here's, here's a film. <laughs> I'm going to make a good film. <laughs> like, about something near and dear and personal to yeah. my life write what you know and all that yeah and i don't you know i don't think it's anything as like black and white as like educating people who maybe don't know enough but i do think maybe it's a reaction to the fact that that kind of honesty and candor about the gay sexual experience is obviously pretty missing from film yeah. uh and even this film and this is a tiny film. This was made for just over $300,000. Wow. And it's like still. Wow. The reason I wanted to do <laughs> this is I think. Like in 80s money or in today's money? In 80s, 80s money. money. Okay. So that's, right. that's 800K now. Yeah. Something like that. Holy cow. Doubles every 20 yeah. or something. All right. That explains why the white balance seemed a little off. Yeah, no, exactly. It, which I almost give to its credit because I feel. I feel like this thing is kind of, especially given the sad story of its creator, just this small little perfect document left behind. And of course, because of the nature of like, he was a small struggling artist, Mm -hmm. he couldn't make it in that bigger way. And, and maybe I, you know, maybe I wouldn't want that version either. I think it's, it's bare bones construction. Both versions. If I could have them. Sure. Yeah, I would want what I would want is a, a different story. Well, he he made three shorts prior to this too, Love to which, see which I haven't Not checked that out, I, and I don't know what they are, but perhaps they are more of those bare bones kind well, of. Well, I'm just saying, like, about. if if he had lived, and he, you know, and we could get like more money funneled to his projects, I would. Yeah, and he like wrote, to see what those would be. He wrote That's five all more I'm screenplays saying. too that were never shot. Wow! Did yeah. anyone ever pick any of them up? Nope, not yet. But they exist, and they're out there. Holy cow. Yeah. Pretty cool. At any rate. Huh. <laughs> um, yeah, like what other segments do we have? <laughs> Metacritical. All right. Let's play the game. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Brady, you have a pen and stuff? I do. 
Alright, let me play the little theme song. Metacritical intro. I'm ready to go. Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Metacritical. I don't know how you can So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical. Yeah, it's time. Yes, Metacritical, Metacritical, Metacritical. That's the name of this game. Now, Tess was just asking me, uh, kind of in the background there, a little bit, uh, that how's this game played again? And your answer, Tess. And you, listeners, who, if you've never heard this before, I, we play this game every week so Brady can beat me at something at least. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing he beats me at, that, oh. that, that and says in, saying nicer things about movies in a more coherent way than me. But, um... <laughs> Doesn't he do that? I mean, we both went to film school, and yet he's here. Here he, he is. He's been to longer film school. Anyway, the way Brady beats <laughs> me every week at this game um, is uh, we guess the Metacritic score of four films, or, I mean five films, and okay. uh, Brady always guesses them closer than I do, and thus his score is lower because the score is totaled by Can adding the total numbers away. Beat Brady? Yeah. Is that the game? I. Agree, we should try to beat Brady because this <laughs> motherfucker oh. knows far too many <laughs> <laughs> metacritic scores. Okay, so we're all playing that. against each other, but he'll probably I'll win. I hold him, you hit him. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just hit him with my mouth against his mouth. Okay. I, don't, I don't know how that's going to stop me from winning, but yeah. No. <laughs> so let's start this way. Tess, uh-huh. pick a movie that you do not know the metacritic score of. And then also I don't know any. Metacritic scores. Especially that you don't think Brady knows the Metacritic score of. Okay, uh, um, ooh, uh, okay, um, let's see, uh, first, uh, first movie off the top of my dome. And if you, and if you want to, uh, kind of tie it in to this movie in some way, like, oh, it's got Steve Buscemi in it, or it's a, yeah, it's a cool right. cinema. Or, uh, yeah. I just looked at this little steak cutout, and then I thought, Red Dragon. Ooh. Oh, okay. That's that's good. That's good. Now I think this is like a 2008 movie, right? That's no, like earlier than that. I think it's like early aughts. Is this the one before Silence of the Lambs? It's yeah, after. It's, it's, it's after, after Hannibal. But even. it's not. It's it's like I think I watched this at a friend of mine's house that I haven't seen since I was in the fifth grade. Oh, okay. It's Rick just Fiennes. gonna say. Rick okay. Fiennes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I could later. be wrong, but no. Red Dragon. No. Yeah. You're right. I think Silence of the Lambs. There's a book. There's like several books about Hannibal Lecter, right? Red Dragon is one of them. Yes. And that's the prequel. Silence of the Lambs is another one, and blah blah blah. That one takes yeah. place afterwards. Okay, got it. Now that I know what we're talking about. All right, uh, uh, Brady. Why don't so you, you guys have to guess the Metacritic of the thing I named? Brady, why don't you guess? Uh, we're all gonna guess. Okay. The Metacritic. So I have to guess the thing of the thing I named. Yeah, but yeah. let Brady I guess know. first. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, I'll go with a. Let's go 53. 53 for Red Dragon says Brady. I'm going to go, I think it's a little higher. I think it's uh, 64. 63. And then I do the thing where I look it up, and then we keep talking while I'm looking it up, so it's not super boring for anybody listening. Yeah, so so who picks the next movie? Do we each pick one movie and then the game's over? How many rounds? We're usually five. Total of five. Okay. I mean, you know, 
You so all listening can't see this, but Tess is farthest to my right, Brady's to my right, and then so we'll go Tess, Brady, me. Tess, all Brady. Right. That sounds good. Uh, I don't see Metacritic on your screen. Homework. I see Google. I don't even see the kind of Google that gives you ads. <laughs> Otherwise, I would read off the ads. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got Metacritic here now. Sorry, I'm slow. And also, I was having trouble opening Chrome. <laughs> ah! <laughs> no, I searched. I got red, and then red came up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Red Dragon is uh, yellow at 60. Oh, okay. Wow. So, oh, that's so that means you've got a score of three, and i got a score of four. You're already oh. beating Brady. I got a seven. Because you were three I don't three understand off. how this works. Well, you guessed 63, and it was you 60. You minus the points from the score that it has? We're trying to get the lowest score. So you're trying to be as close as possible overall okay, to each. Okay, all right, you're yeah. trying to get par. I, I get it. Yeah. Oh, and if you hit one dead on, you get a five-point deduction, so that lowers your score even more. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, all right, I forgot how this worked. All right, Brady, right. you pick you pick one. Okay. Red one that you dragon, pre presumably dragon. don't know. Yeah. Don't pick one of the ones you know, because you memorize Metacritic scores, and you're off time. Okay, Red Dragon has Ray Fiennes in it. Ray Fiennes is also in... Let me try to pick something I haven't thought of in a minute. Ooh, let's see. Uh, Ray Fiennes, Ray Fiennes. I've got one of you. <laughs> okay, y uh, no, 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 no. Um, hold on. Ray Fiennes... Is in, uh, fine, The Hurt Locker. Okay. Do you know the score of The Hurt Locker off the top of your head? <laughs> At yes. one time I did. Uh, I don't know, it's hard to... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right. If Hurt he Locker. wins, he wins. Uh, Brady we get more turns than he does. Brady in the movie, I'm going to guess first. Uh, so, uh, 91. There you go, Catherine Bigelow. I gave you an odd number. I'm going to say 96. Okay, I'll go 94. Well, we're all clustered around it, so no mm. one's going to lose too many points. Yeah, exactly. That. Okay. But will someone hit a bullseye? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 95. Oh. <gasps> so. That's one for Tess. Tess still kicking ass. One all for right. me. I'm not too far behind. Tess is doing I'm probably well. ahead of Brady. I know. What did you say, Rob? You said at 90. 91. 91. Okay, so that's three for you. You're the one with the phone Four and paper, bro. And I get to do last, right? <laughs> or no, Brady okay. goes last? Well, Brady goes you guess the first movie, Brady guess the second movie, I'll guess the third, you can guess the fourth, Brady will guess the fifth. All right, Rob. Right. Rotate. Go right. ahead. Ray Rick Fines was also an enemy at the gates. But he, it's not fair he, he gets to go, okay, whatever, it's fine. So, enemy at the gates. Enemy? You get to go twice, What is too. enemy at the gates? It's uh, set... In the city of Stalingrad, and uh, it's these snipers. What it's, year? Uh, it's like freaking 98 or something like okay. that. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, the, it's a big World War II battle, sniper okay. battle. Well, so they're they're outside of Stalingrad. Ed Harris is trying to shoot <laughs> Ray Fiennes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they made a movie. Do yeah. I have to guess first? Because yes. you said the movie. Exactly. Okay, um, s 79. Surprised I didn't show you this one when when we were in college. Oh no no no! It's a war movie. Can I go over? Yeah. Uh, eighty nine. Okay. I don't think it's that high. I don't think it's that well rated. I think it's. I'm surprised we didn't watch this. I'm gonna go with like a fifty five. Fifty five. Wow. Who's the hot chick in that one? 
I've never seen really? it. Really? I stuck uh, with no, 89 because it's, uh, it's a war movie? Darren Aronofsky's wife, uh, Rachel Weiss. Oh. She's, she's the hot Oh, she's hot. One. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's in the 74? Okay. All right. No, I'm going to lose big time now because I thought it, because it was a war movie, it'd be good. There are plenty of bad people I, re- would like I really it. like it. I think it's really good, but it is 53. Okay, that's oh, like two for me. God, the hurt. But the, but the user's got <laughs> I it. am a inside of a hurt locker. <laughs> <laughs> what is this locker of hurt? <laughs> but the people, pain. The people have it at like 70, though, so I mean, it wasn't a crazy. Okay, <laughs> uh, Boys in the Band. Boys the in the film. band test says is the next film that we're gonna guess on. So Brady, that would be your guess. When did that come out, by the way? Oh, I want to say the seventies. Okay, would be there's, my a, guess, there's a but chance I don't really it might know. not be in here, but they're getting better at uh, going back. At chronicling. Okay, yeah. so if it's not in here, do I get to go again? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, okay, let me say that it's. I think it's seventy-five. Seventy-five. Okay, I'm gonna look it up and then just say what, what you, it actually. What do you guys? <laughs> 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 uh, I again. Uh, I think earlier in the podcast you brought this up and I said, I don't know that movie at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, this makes it difficult. I'm going to stick close to Brady. <laughs> but I think it's going to be higher. So mm-hmm. 78. Okay, I'm going to say 90. Okay. If they have it. And I bet you they don't. But They might not. Boys in the band. Boys in the band, to be determined is the Metacritic score. What the fuck? What does that mean? <laughs> um, it, I think it actually means they're releasing it on September 30th, 2020. Huh? Maybe they're remaking it. They're remaking it. it. <gasps> oh. It comes out in So the old days. one's not there. They're just like, wait for it, wait for it. That, that's true. I should have. Yeah, what are they? Are they Aaron Burr? Yeah. Are they ready to wait, wait for, for it? Aaron the no, the, they got milk, man. Uh, it's Aaron, yeah, at Aaron. Yeah, it's not in there. Okay, okay, so I'll pick something else. Um, I thought I was throwing a curveball because that is a real movie. Uh, um, okay. Oh, wait, the boys <laughs> <laughs> in the band. I, I, I somehow selected bad boys for life. No! <laughs> Wait, what's the score? It's not there. Okay. It's only the new one. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Let me think then. Uh, that was my only idea. Um, oh, come the on. The Disney Robin Hood. Oh, righty. Uh, Disney Robin Hood? That may or may also be difficult. <laughs> but That sounds about like a 76. I think it's got a B feel, so I'm going to go 68. <laughs> I'm going to go 75. Okay. Um, Robin Hood. I also hate the search on Metacritic where you have to like search for it perfectly. Or also, it be prepared up. to have to dig through so many other Robin Hoods. Yeah. Here, how about this? I'll open a new tab and I'll be like, Walt Disney Robin Hood. And then it'll Metacritic. come Metacritic. No, and then it'll come up with the actual title of that. It's just Robin Hood 1973. So then I'll search for exactly Robin Hood. Yeah. That's what it's called. I'll look for 1973. 
Can I type 1973? I don't think I can. No, it won't let you because it's pretty kind of screwy. Um, Sorry, guys. I'm trying to throw you curveballs, and I think it's mostly throwing the website curveballs. That's pretty much what's Look for a fox. Yeah, find the furry. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Yeah, I don't think it's in here, bros. That is weird. It's such a cult classic. But it's 1973. (sighs) I would pick 1990 or... Better. Okay, okay. Uh, hook. Hook! Okay. Brady, what do you think Hook's at? Um, our generation loves Hook, but it is not well reviewed, I don't think. I'm yeah. gonna say it's Dustin like a Hoffman, Bob Hoskins? 58. Mm-hmm. Wait, no, Dustin Hoffman. No, Bob Hoskins. Oh, Bob oh, Hoskins. Yeah, Bob Hoskins. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. 58, Brady says. I'll say. S- 68. <sighs> 60. Okay, we're staying pretty close to each other. Okay. But it's all about that bullseye. It's got to be in there, though, right? I picked I one that's in there. there. You picked the movie from 1992 or something. Hook from 1991 is 52. Dang. Okay. Yeah, you see how this goes, right? Mm-hmm. But tested the best on that one. I did. Oh, good. When I finally got to one that was in there, I did. How's my score? Um, well, your guess on the enemy at the gates hit you pretty hard. Was pretty bad, yeah. For a 36 point, so that's a problem. Um, oh, I'm going to have to. But there's to one more round. There's no way I can come back from that. So Bob Hoskins. Okay, Brady let, always wins. Let me try to see if an older movie is in here. Uh, oh, no. And spotlight Bob Hoskins' career. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. I love Bob Hoskins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with, I think the movie's just called Mona Lisa. Uh, it's an 80s movie for which he almost won the Oscar. Oh, yeah. That's, that's like an 88 on Metacritic as far as I understand. Yeah? Uh, All right. You just said 88? <laughs> yes. I'm going to say... 86. All right, I'm going to go in 82. This one very well might not be in there. All right. But check it out. And just because you're you're hitting it when you breathe, I'm going to move that. Oh, better. sorry. That's okay. That's good. Okay. Um, Mona Lisa. Eh? Mona Lisa. Lisa. Saxophone. Wait, I just clicked on it and it brought me to somewhat something else. Mona Lisa. Because it might not be in there. No, but I clicked on one that was called Mona Lisa. And Maybe it's further down. Yeah, I know, but I actually clicked on it and didn't take me to it. Okay, I'm This sounds like a badly designed website. Wait. I, I'm upset with Metacritic on their design. Okay, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa 1986. Found at 85. Mmm. Tess was tested very well on that. Nice. I did very well too. Ah, uh, yes, I you guess did. Eighty-eight. We did all we all crunched right around you Rob because no one threes. knew it. Tess got a one. Okay, so now you but can I tally fucking the got damn. Tess's on the score, other, other than that, thirty-six is ridiculously oh, good. Oh God, I can't believe I fucked up that hard. Okay, Tess is very easy to add up. <laughs> um, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. That's <laughs> that's how easy it is to have. I hate that I did this badly when I was previously doing so well. It's I like know. Well, I don't know. That's why Brady does so well. Is he like 
he, he doesn't really get them right. He just never fucks up too bad. Uh, and yeah. I always fuck up pretty bad. I didn't even know what the movie you guys were talking about was. And I thought, hey, war movie must be great. And again, I'm you guys, You boys who judge things on this website always love war movies. I, I also just kind of thought that we saw it. <laughs> no, I never seen it. Okay. I really yeah. liked it. I, I remember watching it with JP a bunch and stuff back in college. Like, when I was on campus, I watched it. So... Okay, guys. So, in third place with a 48 is Rob. In second with a 45, very close, is Tess. I got 48. Holy cow. And uh, I have a 20, so, so I win. I got 48? Uh, of course you yeah. do. I'm going to turn off my little box. Motherfucker. Well, no, no, we still got to pick next week's movie. Oh, wait. You're right. <laughs> Sorry, can you still hear me? Yeah, and first I need to, to play the Metacritical outro. I'll point at you when it's done. All right. But, uh, yeah. but I haven't picked a movie I just thought. Metacritical. Well, nice. I won again. Fuck, Fuck you. you. Oh, oh, oh! I All have right. a movie. I have a movie. What is it, Cox? <laughs> Avatar. The Last Airbender. Yep. By M Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan, a ding dong. You all have to watch it with me. Tess just finished the Avatar Nickelodeon cartoon series. I, I know. So the question. And there's nothing funner to me than doing a bad movie with you guys. Okay, right. Brady. I, I agree. I've missed doing bad movies. All right, Brady. What movie do you want to? Um, no, no, no. No, I'm. I'm still allowed to propose to. Okay. We're we're picking it, but you're you're not choosing it for us. Although, since you thought you were, maybe I'll just let. But let's Go just ahead, Brady. let's have the discourse. Um, All right. So. Uh, we've covered a lot of very acclaimed stuff on this, and some bad stuff too. Aww. And we've covered a lot of classics, your Cool Hand Luke's, your what have you, your Leopards. I am starting in a new direction here, uh, because this movie I feel kind of slots into this, and that's movies that I think should have more recognition than they do, um, or should like get a critical reevaluation. Uh, as much as everyone likes to drag Adam Sandler through the mud, and he fucking deserves it, Though he was so good in Uncut Gems and should have been Oscar nominated. We um, didn't suggest Pixels. No, I have thought about us eventually doing Billy Madison, which <laughs> uh, was not critically well received at the time, but uh, I believe should be viewed more favorably through its Looney Tunes lens. But I think what I'm going to do to start out is Stuck on You, uh, a movie that I have long beat the drum for as being considerably deeper and better than its reputation suggests. Come on, guys, let's watch a bad movie. I'm going to suggest Parasite, because I haven't seen it. Oh, I can't resist watching Parasite. Exactly. No I, I, knew, I knew that I was splitting your hairs. But I really think I'm right, and we should watch a bad movie from time to time. Okay. What's a way that we can play a game with the three of us that then will determine that like we Rochambeau, Rochambeau. And, and then the winner of the first Rochambeau Rochambeau is the other person sure okay. okay who wants to Rochambeau who I'm ready who, who you're okay, okay you did the married couple show Rochambeau Tess, oh I win Tess wins so okay. now I got a Rochambeau Tess and she wins ah! okay 
You know, I was kind of hoping for that. We It's time for Page Master to happen again. Oh. We yeah, need another Way of the an- West or I was Warrior's say, Way. I was going to say that. I was like, remember how fun it was to do Page Master, even sure. though it was the worst possible fun. The only experience? thing I don't want is more Icemans, where it's just like, this is boring. I never watched that with you guys, but oh, I think this is going to be so bad that we're going to have a lot to say. I, I really liked that, uh, that Sukiyaki Western or whatever that we did. That was the Warrior's Way. The Warrior's Way. That was a way fun podcast. It was a fun podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, um, is there anything we have to touch on before we go? Or I, I, I think we did a, a very good discussion of this movie. Yeah. yeah. I agree. So uh, I, agree. Uh, I don't think we need to mess it up by uh, <laughs> talking more. All right. I'm done. <laughs> All right. I'll see you next week when we watch M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar movie. That will be fun. And for now, listen to this theme song. Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob I'm gonna get body here, I'm gonna get fucking body Don't touch my body